ready to join us for the time of your life? Seniors Association Kingston Region presents a radio show and podcast developed and presented by our members. I'm Don Amos, Executive Director for the Association. Time of Your Life explores how to live with purpose, providing a wealth of knowledge for our listeners on a variety of topics, from health to finance and everything in between. And of course, finding out about the latest leisure and recreation activities happening at the Seniors Association. Here is this week's edition of Time of Your Life. This is an encore edition of The Time of Your Life. Who will speak for you if you can't speak for yourself? That was the focus of workshops on advanced care planning held back in June of this year at Edith Rankin Church and the Senior Center. The Time of Your Life's Elizabeth McDonald discussed advanced care planning with Florence Campbell of Compassionate Communities Kingston and Susan Ward-Moser of Hospice Kingston and South Frontenac Community Services. Florence, can I ask you, what's involved in advanced care planning? Well, advanced care planning is really about conversations. So we're trying to start conversations with individuals. We're we're focusing primarily at the beginning on those of us who are 60 years and older. And, And we're trying to get people to feel much more comfortable about the idea of planning our our wishes as we approach end of life or perhaps life-threatening illnesses, our wishes, our beliefs, our values. So in these conversations, which we call advanced care planning workshops, we're asking the question, who will speak for you if you can't speak for yourself? Do your loved ones know what your wishes or your values or what your plans are for at end of life? Will they know what to say? And so we're trying to keep these conversations as uh, casual and informal because we are a death-denying society. We find it very difficult to talk about our vulnerabilities. Um, we um, Instinctively, we refuse help even when we need it. If, um, if you offer help to me, I'll instinctively decline. Even if I really need help, I'll say, no, I'm fine. And so we don't want to feel vulnerable. We don't want to bother our friends or family. What will people think if I think if they think I can't handle this? And so on. So the whole idea of these planning sessions is to help us all feel much more comfortable about the idea of planning and about the idea of being able to talk about death and dying. After all, d- talking about dying never killed anyone. <laughs> Susan, now you and others at Hospice Kingston spend a lot of time with those who are facing the end of their life. And from, from your experience with these people, how, how, do you, how do you see advanced care planning benefiting the folks that you, uh, that you know that you've worked with? Oh, I think there'd be a tremendous, tremendous advantage. Um, Hospice Kingston and Southern Frontenac Community Services both used trained volunteers. That's who goes into the home and comforts people, sits with them, and provides support. Um, and a lot of times the people know that they're, they have a serious illness or that they're dying, as Florence said. And so often at the end of life, they haven't been heard as to what is important, right? What are their wishes? And often time runs out. And it's too late. And I think a big part of the advanced care planning is to do it now. 
Do it now while you can make decisions rationally, that you've got time to really think about who should be your decision maker. Understand the law a little bit about how consent, because we're only talking about health care decisions here, not finances, not property. So to really think about and to know how is consent done in under our health care system, because um, we know that over 90% of us at some time, somebody else will make a health care decision for us. I mean, that's astounding, isn't it? And so you really need to think about who's going to make that decision for you? Do they know what you'd want? And I think it gives peace to the people that care for you and for the people that are that friendly visitor. Mm-hmm. Now, there, I think the uh, law has is evolving, has, has been changing, and many of us aren't really aware of what standing our choices might have. So we have the conversation with family, we have the conversation with friends, and we say, here's what's important to me if, if facing the end of life. Here's what I'd like you to say if I can't speak for myself. What, uh, what do we need to know about how to formalize this? One of the things that we talk about in the workshops that we're holding is about uh, choosing a substitute decision maker, using the laws of Ontario. And we have lots of handouts to provide once we have trained volunteers in advanced care planning, go through the steps and, um, and point out you know, what it's all about. What is choosing a substitute decision maker all about? That's the most important aspect, I think, that most people don't know much about. And um, the other thing we find in these conversations is people have a hard time figuring out what their values and wishes really are. And so beginning the conversation starts and people say, I'm going to go home and talk to my husband. We've never had these conversations. I know friends in their 80s, some of whom have significant health issues, and they say, we can't talk about this. Hmm. And these conversations just break the ice. At the end of an afternoon or a two-hour session, you don't have all the answers, but you have now you're starting to ask yourself the questions. And we've been speaking from the point of view of ourselves looking at our own, our own future. Is this a conversation for friends and family to have? Uh, is, is this a conversation? Would you hope that there might be some children or even, I don't know, perhaps grandchildren who might come and engage in this conversation about advanced care planning? I think ideally, absolutely, yes. Because it, you, you think um, those wishes, those voiced wishes or written down wishes or put in the computer, whatever it is, They evolve over time. They could change from today to tomorrow. Um, And who's going to be with you when you are going to emerge? So the more people in your circle of care or in your life, whatever you want to call them, that know you currently, what is your wish today, you know, um, the more apt that wish is going to be carried out. And does that include the professionals who are part of your life? Doctor, lawyer, accountant? 
absolutely. And I think we, we talk about that during the workshops. How do you spread that word? You know, The other thing we talk about um, is how do you start the conversation? Because as Florence said, that's not an easy conversation to have. You know, you go home and say, well, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, when I die or when I'm dying. Most of our children will sort of walk out the door, right? Maybe, maybe tomorrow, Mom, not today. Is something wrong? Um, so I think that's one of the things we talk about is how do you start that hard conversation? It's not one conversation. It's a series of conversations over time. And is there a role for friends to play? Florence, you've already mentioned that the culture we live in in this 21st century is, is, is death-denying. We're, we're afraid. We don't, the culture doesn't want to talk about it. Is, is there a role, a place for friends who, who often gather uh, informally to uh, visit with each other, to socialize together? Is, is, there, is this a place where people might begin talking to each other about the Abs- death care plan? Absolutely. And one of the uh, more interesting ones, in my view, that we're starting to explore now is the role of book clubs. Mm. People know each other at book clubs, and that might make it easier to start. And so we've developed a list of books about death and dying, and we now have a few book clubs who are going to start having these conversations in their book clubs. And many of them are using Atul Gawan's book on being mortal. Mm. But we have a list of books and um, uh, that we will give to anybody who's interested over time that they can pick and choose for their own book club. And I think that's a wonderful place to start. And then it ripples out from there. Well, it's less threatening. You don't begin necessarily about talking about your own deepest concerns. Uh, read a book and be able to engage what uh, another person, an author, has said can really open up conversation. That's, I think, going to be very exciting. And um, one book club in a community, they have several women in their club who are also members of one of the churches in the area. So Mm -hmm. they're going to start with the book club and then see how it might ripple out to what might the church do or the synagogue or a temple. So it's all about engaging the community in any way that we can. And we're going to be looking for ideas from, from community members because they would have ideas as to how to start these conversations that we probably haven't even thought of. So again, as you were saying, Susan, this is not a one-off conversation. This is not come to one event and you've got it all figured out. We're, you're both really talking about engaging uh, all of us in the community in an ongoing conversation. Am I understand yeah. that? Absolutely. Because I think it starts with one conversation, being brave enough um, or identifying that that conversation needs to happen. But then absolutely, you go home, you speak to the people that are probably th- that live with you maybe or that are the most important in your life. Um, and then you think of many people in our groups think about a friend some situation that happened that was either really good or really difficult. And that spurs more and more conversation. And again, as Florence said, then they say, well, maybe I should bring this to the Women's Institute. You know, this is something we need to talk about. Or, um, you know, whatever the group is they belong to. Um, Your comment about children 
I mean, children absolutely and high school students absolutely need to be part. We, we don't die always because we're old, right? Mm-hmm. We die at all ages. And um, all of our children experience death and sickness. The Time of Your Life continues in just a moment with Elizabeth MacDonald talking about advanced care planning. What do you know about the Seniors Association Kingston? We are a nonprofit, charitable organization specializing in recreation and leisure activities for today's active older adults. The association offers 250 programs designed for those 50 plus at four locations across Kingston. Check out our latest program guide and registration information at seniorskingston.ca. This is the Time of Your Life presented by the Seniors Association Kingston Region every Wednesday morning at 11:30. The Time of Your Life now continues with Elizabeth MacDonald and her guests, Florence Campbell and Susan Ward-Moser, talking about advanced care planning. Now, when, when this prospect, the prospect of dying, is, is presented in the media, we often think in terms of quite catastrophic end of life, uh, will the machine be turned off? You know, that sort of very dramatic. Uh, and yet... I'm listening to you, I'm struck that for many, many people, um, it's a, a process that can take months and years and often can involve a loss of capacity long before death occurs that might involve, might require some kind of support. So as you are um, engaging people in this conversation, how much of it is about the actual end of life and, and the, the getting there that might be much more complicated, have many more steps than I think is often acknowledged? Well, again, I can tackle this one first of all, but I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, he's, uh, my background was working in geriatrics and dementia care. So many of our families that were involved were dealing with Alzheimer's disease, which is years of losing function and abilities. And they had just gradual losses. So um, that conversation needed to happen. You know, how important is going outside? How important is actually eating food? Right? And those help guide families when they are making those big decisions. And as you say, it's not, should we turn off the machine? It could be. But often it's those, is it time to move that person into this home or that home? Do we keep them home mm-hmm. and, you know, spend care, you know, dollars on care? If making those decisions is really hard work for a substitute decision maker. Mm-hmm. And if you've got some guidance, it mm-hmm. just makes it that much easier to make those hard, hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And Florence, coming, I'm, I'm just hearing echoes of what you said at the very beginning, how hard it is for us to ask for help for ourselves or for those we love sometimes. Yeah, I think it's, it's all about the journey. You know, there, part of the education we have to do, too, is what is palliative care. Most people think it's the last two weeks of life, and yet the World Health Organization is, as, along the lines of what you just said, it, it should 
some form of palliative care should start to take place as soon as, some, as someone is diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. It could be 10, 20 years. Cancer, which is uh, often many, many years, or COPD or something like that. So that we have an educational role to play, and it's about the journey. But right at the end, if we all, in a utopian way, had an advanced care plan, think of the... Um, how much that would mean for families so we can prevent family feuds. Because we hear lots of stories about conflicts amongst children at a time of near death, etc. And from some people I've talked to who now have advanced care plans, as Susan said earlier, it is about peace of mind, that everybody knows what I wish. And so it prevents feuds. We hope. <laughs> Minimizes them. Minimizes them, yes. Now, we're having a conversation as individuals, but both of you are here representing different organizations, organizations that see the importance of advanced care planning, but organizations that are involved with many, many other, uh, other aspects, other issues. Florence, I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit uh, tell us more about Compassionate Communities Kingston. Yes, of course. Uh, we're part of an international movement that started in Australia about 20 years ago, and then moved to the United Kingdom and Europe, and came to Canada about four years ago. So on the one hand, we're a bit late to the party, but on the other hand, we have the advantage of learning from all of those who have gone before us. And there's some amazing research around the world that we're, we're um, involved with. So we're really focusing on two areas, and we've talked about one of them, which is encouraging those of us uh, who are over 60 years. As Susan said earlier, it could be anybody, but we have to start somewhere. So encouraging those of us who are over 60 years to prepare well for our final years. So we're engaged in, in changing social norms. We've also talked about the one social norm, which is that we instinctively decline help for all the reasons that we talked about, and there are more. And when I mentioned that in meetings, I he see a lot of head not, uh, nodding that in agreement. So that's one, one social norm that we're trying to change so that we'll all become more comfortable to ask for help. We'll all become more comfortable to plan our life as we approach uh, later years and so on. And the second social norm that we're trying to change is to encourage the community to get back engaged in helping people in crisis and loss. Um, in January, my brother died in Alberta, and uh, I grew up in rural Alberta, where the whole community rallied when someone was in crisis or lost. It's just what we did. It was part of our culture. And when he died in January, he was a farmer in central Alberta, and uh, almost 300 people came to his funeral to support his family. When I came home, I talked to a friend of mine about this experience, and she said that a neighbor of hers down the street had died recently, and she was the only neighbor who went to the funeral. Now, I think that's probably an extreme example, but now that we are a more urban society, we've lost some of that community caring. And we know that one in five pe persons in Canada is suffering deep loneliness, and that just shouldn't be. So 
Many years ago, we sort of abdicated our community responsibilities to the healthcare professionals. And they've done a fine job, but they now tell us they can't do it alone. All voices in this conversation now matter. So the question becomes, how do we effectively bring the community back to help us all in times of crisis and need? So we're holding community engagement meetings um, to involve as many citizens as possible who are interested in this. I think there's a whole army out there, but at the moment they're not confident. If, I, if you offer help to me and I refuse, you'll probably either shy away or you'll say, let me know if there's anything I can do, and we all know where that goes. It goes nowhere. Lastly, what I would say is recently we learned that Jean Vanier had died and he was the ultimate in compassion. In a tribute to him in the Globe and Mail, Valerie Pringle said that he told her once, we may think that our great need is to be loved, but the even deeper, more universal need is our desire to belong. If we can engage more citizens in this compassionate community movement to deepen their feelings of belonging, we will be successful. And that's what you're about, and that's over the coming weeks and months here in Kingston. We can expect that Compassionate Communities Kingston is going to be inviting us, engaging us in one way or another. Well, we will stay tuned and come back to you, Florence, to find out more about how this evolves. But what you said about how... Uh, in many communities, in urban communities like our, our city here in Kingston, uh, it's all too easy to abdicate care for one another to the professionals. And Susan is someone involved both in Hospice Kingston here in the city and also in South Frontenac Community Services, where, I mean, you, uh, you're a volunteer and a board, board chair, um, but uh, you work with the professionals what do you think of what Florence said about um, ordinary folks needing to find ways to partner with the kind of healthcare professionals that you're supporting in your work? Well, to me, that makes. Well, I'm going to go back. My background was arranging community care. So, and it's the care word, not the compassion, but. Um, and people that were ill at home and died at home well, were people that were wrapped with care. So they had family that were trained and committed and available. They had neighbors. They had maybe a church community. And they also had really excellent, available professionals. And if we could enhance that piece, that community's piece, where people say, I've got a cooked chicken, and I'm going to take it down to Mary because she's looking tired. Or I'm going to bring my work, and I'm going to sit beside Joe. You go out and have a break, right? Caring for someone is 24-7, right? It's not just a two-hour stint. And to me, it's all a matter of it's pieces of, of provision of support, whether it's the professional doing their job, the trained volunteer does his or her job, and then we've got this amazing group of community people that say, it's my job too. And I think that way, just like, you know, we say it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to care for people as we age. So this partnership that has brought together Hospice Kingston, South Frontenac Community Services, and Compassionate Communities Kingston, this 
partnership to get us all uh, taking more seriously the need for advanced care planning. Um, it's sounding to me, as I listen to both of you, that it is an even bigger invitation for us all to work together, professionals, volunteers, family, friends, neighbors, all of us, to work together to improve the quality of life of of uh, the individuals and also the quality of life, the well-being of our whole community. Yeah, and I think the other spin-off that has been proven in some cities like Ottawa with their compassionate communities is the spin-off for our healthcare system that we end up with fewer people ending up in you know their last few weeks or days where they don't want to be right they want to be home or they want to stay where they are they don't want to be in ICU or they don't want to be on that floor and i think that helps that as well and that I, it's been proven that we do make a, a financial impact as well on the whole healthcare system Florence, your vision for the future? Well, uh, it is in a way about the sense of belonging. If we can uh, make citizens much more comfortable and confident, they're already willing to give help, but they're not. if we can improve the um, confidence uh, of how to give help in the community, that would be one important uh, value and one important aspect of our vision. And the other would be if we can get us all to start talking and, um, and be much more prepared uh, for uh, as we approach end of life, that is another aspect of our vision. We know that um, in one day when you have a serious or a life-threatening illness, you spend 10% of your time with healthcare professionals and 90% of your time with family, friends, and caregivers. So I, I really believe it's an exciting opportunity for our communities to get together, uh, to be much more compassionate, and to improve the sense of belonging for all of us. Florence, Susan, thank you very much. Thank you. You can connect with Compassionate Communities Kingston and Florence Campbell via email at florence.campbell@queensu.ca. Hospice Kingston's website is www.hospicekingston.ca and South Frontenac Community Services can be reached at www.sfcsc. Thanks for listening. We hope you had the time of your life. Tune in next week for our new episode or check out our podcast. Visit seniorskingston.ca and follow the links. The show is produced by retired broadcaster Ken Day, and don't forget to tune in to CFRC 101.9 FM for the next episode of Time of Your Life. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.